This episode of the Unravel podcast is recorded and produced on the lands and waterways of Wajak Noongar Butja. I acknowledge Wajak Noongar of the Bibbulmun Nation as the traditional and ongoing custodians and original storytellers of the lands, waterways and skies on which I live and work on and look up to. And I pay my deepest respects to their elders past, present and future. And through them extend my deepest respect and solidarity to all Aboriginal and Zenith Kess peoples. Sovereignty was never ceded. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Dombulubunaka and Maloniken, Gutokuingwana, Yadangu, or Welcome to the fifth episode of the Unravel podcast. I hope that you've been keeping well since we last met. I can truly feel that we have left Bunuru and have moved into Jiren. The days have been hot, but the evenings have been very cool and the sunsets, as always on the west coast, have been delicious. Before we get into the episode, I want to extend my deepest gratitude to you, our listeners. I'm in absolute disbelief that this podcast has reached 15 countries and that there have been listeners from over 600 cities who have tuned into the first four episodes so far. Ken, thank you so much for tuning in. I am I'm so grateful that you're here and engaging and I hope this podcast incites rigorous dialogue within your own ecosystems, whether or not you agree with me. Please don't hesitate to reach out, good or bad, I want to hear from you. I've um, I've really loved receiving messages from people and um, even to my surprise meeting people out and about who have listened to Unravel and shared their responses and experiences. And um, you know, we got to celebrate the small wins, Ken. So today on this episode, to celebrate the Unravel podcast reaching over 1,000 downloads, I want to do a giveaway for our listeners Um, So I've got a copy of Elfie Shiyosaki's book, Homecoming, for one lucky listener. Elfie is a Noongar and Yawuru writer, and she lectures in Indigenous rights at the School of Indigenous Studies at the University of Western Australia. Published by Magabala Books, which is Australia's leading Indigenous publisher, Homecoming speaks to the intergenerational dialogue about country, kin, and culture. This elegant and extraordinary form of restorative story work amplifies Aboriginal women's voices and enables four generations of women to speak for themselves. So if you want to be in the running to win a copy of Homecoming by Elfie Shiyosaki, you can subscribe to our newsletter via the show notes if you haven't already. And in the next newsletter will be some information about how one lucky listener anywhere in the world can win a copy. So again, thank you for listening and please continue to share. Okay, <laughs> on to the episode. So this episode is going to touch on the next bone of the Tohuinga uh, Ohetanga, the spine place. And it asserts, all storytellers have the right to equitable access to place. This includes the right to decentralize colonial architecture as creative spaces by embedding connection to land, water, and skies as a valid place to seek, source from, and deliver creativity. Place is, uh, it's everything. It implies geographical location, but 
It also moves through our bodies and our memories. You will have noticed that I begin each episode with a land acknowledgement, but land is so much more than lip service. This is something that Indigenous people understand, that land as a relative, you know, requires nurturing a genuine relationship. The Noongar word for land is butcha. Land in Vosavakaviti translates as vanua, but vanua is so much more than land, it is its spirit, it is the way of life. And land in Nganganatokelao translates as hoenua, which also translates as placenta. Now, I'm not an expert on land, and trust, Unravel will speak with storytellers who speak more intimately with land in their practice than I do, but I do continue to develop my relationship with land in various ways, such as planting, fishing, and crabbing. And this has strengthened two things in my life. My ever-growing desire to return to my own land and to, to build a life there, and my responsibility to embody what it means to be an informed, active, and accountable settler on someone else's land. Around the time that the pandemic hit, I had a lot of time to think about how my job was kind of bizarre. I don't mean the craft of storytelling. I mean the industrialization of storytelling. How strange it is to pursue a career where you spend hours on end inside walls that block natural sunlight and replace it with artificial lighting rigs, that replace rivers and forests with sound effects and sets, that replace real interactions with scripts, and this is all in the pursuit of being a mirror to myself and my community and, by extension, society. How strange it is to feel air conditioning instead of the wind on your face, or no wind at all. The fabrication, the construct of place, is why this bone began to form. Okay. Bear with me, I'm about to jump around a bit. (laughs) I promise that if where I lead you doesn't make sense today, it will make sense eventually. (laughs) So, although I've never been to Tokelau, and I've never been to Uvea either, yet, which is where my grandfather and my great-grandparents are from, I haven't touched the soil of Matapuna who sang on the shores of Nukununu or Hihifo for thousands of years. I feel Tokelau through my mother, my aunties, my uncles, my nana. And I feel Uvea through my papa calling to me in my dreams. Through the messages that my cousins share with me. Through the kalanga that I hear in their warm embrace. They tell me stories of place. They sing songs. Takoto kavu hale hi 
hyvä. Kopalenga ohenua. And when I hear these songs, I don't only imagine these places, I feel them light up in my body. It's magical, hey, that that stories, songs, dances are so powerful. That people are so powerful, they can instantly transport you to a place you've never been. That song that I sang is speaking about the islands of Tokelau, their chiefs and where they live and the beauty of the Huenua. Okay, so let me ask you this. Have you ever noticed that your mood shifts depending on how much sleep you get? Or how much time you spend inside? Or how much time you spend staring at artificial lights or screens? The sun across Tokelau, Fiji and Uver is embedded so deeply into my DNA that I can tell you that my mood shifts big time. If I sleep late because I was watching a screen for too long, if I'm stuck inside all day, if I don't catch any sun or fresh air, wow, I am not a team player, okay? And you know, it took me a, it took me a while to realize why. The sun across Fiji hits different. And not just because of the geographical coordinates of Fiji, but because I am Fijian. When I was a student at night, I always used to ask to do class outside. And most of the times they said no, but sometimes they said yes. And my mood instantly lifted. Place and time are interwoven. When I'm in Fiji, I don't set alarm clocks. I rise with the sun. Okay, like maybe a bit slowly, but I rise organically nonetheless. I don't have the same continuous access to screens or streetlights in Fiji that are constantly on everywhere I go. So there is a beautiful relationship with darkness that I observe people around me embody and then, and then I start to embody it. And I know this is not unique to Fiji. Dr. Andrew Huberman on the Huberman Lab podcast, which is about science and science-based tools for everyday life, he has an episode on time perception and entrainment, and he talks about the importance of light as a powerful modulator of melatonin. So for those of you who are listening who don't know what melatonin is, it's a hormone that your brain produces in response to darkness. And it helps with the timing of your circadian rhythms, which is your internal 24-hour clock. And it helps with sleep. So the more light that you are exposed to, the less melatonin that your body produces. And the less light that your body is exposed to, the more melatonin that your body produces. He shares that the melatonin signal is this way in which your internal state, meaning your mood, your sense of energy, even your appetite, is entrained to an external event and expands on research that unveils the correlations between hormones, mood and sun exposure, essentially meaning that sunlight exposure to your skin, not just the eyes, can influence your sense of well-being. This is something my Tabuna knew. This is something that my people know right now. And this is why I encourage storytellers to imagine their creative work beyond four walls, 
Natural sunlight and darkness is so important for our well-being and our regulation of circadian rhythms. And we all should have the right to access this through our creative practice, regardless of our abilities or our financial situation. As a settler, wherever I choose to practice and acknowledge the land of my practice or performances that is not my vanua, I not only have a responsibility to build genuine relations with custodians, but also with land, because the two are inseparable. And that does not happen within colonial architecture. It happens outside, under the sun, in the salt, with soil beneath fingernail beds and sea salt on my skin, listening and learning. Without a doubt, deepening my relation with place has had a profound impact on my respect for First Nations worldviews and the yearning for my own home. In her book, Memory Speaks, Julie Sadivi looks at the relationship between loss of language and loss of identity. And she notes that regions with huge biodiversity also have great language diversity, using Papua New Guinea as an example, which is amongst one of the most biologically diverse countries in the world and is the most linguistically diverse country in the world with over 800 languages. There are correlations highlighting that where there has been a disruption and trauma to biodiversity, there has also been an increase in language loss. So we can see how place, seeing and experiencing place, is quite literally a reflection of the expansiveness of the vocabulary that we use to communicate our stories. And I'm just going to be straight up and say English is not and should not be the benchmark for communicating quality storytelling. Being an Anglophone is so 1900s. (laughs) There's only so many words that the English language can use to describe the world when you are stuck inside four walls under fluoro lights. So, like, of course we are subjected to watching strange depictions of what it means to be quote-unquote us in 2022 on stage and screens because writers rooms are literally groups of writers stuck inside rooms for eight hours a day dehydrated from too much coffee and crinkling under the aircon trying to imagine what our lives are like and what we like so basically what i'm saying is fight for your right to go outside to see and experience and describe your world, your way. That's all for my offering on tohuinga o hetangata and place. If you like our work at Unravel, you can support our podcast or Studio Kim by subscribing, sharing, or buying us a coffee via the links in our show notes. You can also leave us a review, shoot us a message to let us know your thoughts, or subscribing to our newsletter to stay up to date with our projects. Our hero illustration was created by our superstar, wonderful, electric sister, Elsie Andrews. Audio was recorded and edited by myself. Thanks for listening, Ken. Take care, Ni. Mother.